This is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and today I'm delighted to be talking with Lacey Wilson, a new public historian at the Albany Institute of History and Art, about an upcoming event and about her job in general. So, Lacey, welcome to Hudson. Welcome back to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you, Bria. Happy to be here. And before we get started with the events, let's hear a little bit about your background. You are the public historian at the Albany Institute. What does public historian mean? A public historian is someone who um, focuses on history for the public, and that takes a lot of forms, tours, exhibits, oral interviews, podcasts, any opportunity and way to sort of teach and work with the public about history. Um, I often contrast it with being an academic historian who does similar stuff, but we both do research. We both write a lot. But I would say an academic um, historian is more focused on students and through the academic lens and doing this kind of work for academia, which is a much higher and different level than for the general public, like a public historian would be. And in your job at Albany Institute, you have a specific focus on the Albany African-American History Project. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. I'm the public historian of the Albany African-American History Project, and I focus on the 20th and 21st century Black history within the city of Albany. So I do research and conduct oral interviews and connect with organizations that have done work in that arenas, were active during those periods of time for, for culture and politics, activism, anything that really seems interesting to me at the time that is within Black history in the 20th and 21st century. So that involves doing oral histories and doing research and that kind of thing. It's very fun. I, uh, I'm i really excited to continue doing it. What are some of the most interesting finds that you've discovered in your research about African-American history in Albany? I think the activism is really interesting to me. I had um, done an interview with Jamila Anderson, who is a current activist about food scarcity here in Albany and really the capital region, and was able to connect their relatively recent work in this arena to a long history of activism in Albany. We had pulled out some newspapers from the civil rights group, the Brothers, who were active in the 1960s, who were also very concerned about food scarcity at the time. We we put out a report from the Urban League during the Great Migration when a lot of Black people had been coming up to Albany, and we can see that food scarcity and housing issues were very present in the early 1920s as well. And we also had a map from about 1960, which was like a planning for the plaza before 787. So you can see the neighborhoods that were very likely to be ignored or disrupted or destroyed during the planning of both the plaza as well as 787. It was great to see the connection between the past and the present, but unfortunately, both issues of housing scarcity and food scarcity are still issues 100 years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, which is sad. You've had a number of events for Black History Month. You have another one coming up on Sunday, the 26th, a film screening, Mm -hmm. which is about... We are filming this, um, the, um, the film uh, Searching for Timba 2, which is directed and created by Paul Miller, a U Albany history grad, um, very focused on this fantastic story involving voting rights and land and John Brown and this all this lead up to a lot of political upheaval leading up in the Civil War, very focused on this Black settlement in the Adirondacks. It's a really unique story, and I'm really excited for people to be able to see it. I've seen it a couple of times here in the area, and it's a really interesting and engaging story that I I think shows a lot about what early Black life was like here in the New York State. So that idea of creating settlements specifically for African-Americans, we saw that in 
uh, the Rap Road development in Albany with people coming up in the Great Migration. This was a little different in that it was one person buying a lot of land and donating it for this. Mm -hmm. Yes. So there was a law, um, the date is escaping me at the moment, that um, was going to allow Black men to be able to vote in New York State if they owned a certain amount of land. And Garrett Smith was an abolitionist and incredibly wealthy in land and money, just started giving away and selling partials and sections of land in the Adirondacks to give Black men the opportunity to vote. It's a really interesting political move at that time. There were a lot of Black men who accepted the land and didn't go to the Adirondacks. That is discussed further in the film, but as well as there were a lot who did and were able to travel out there and try to make that land and space work. This is all pre-Civil War, so it's, it's much earlier than the Rap Road community, but it's like a very interesting story of just of both those communities, the comparison of just being able to create community in these spaces. A number of well-known leaders were getting behind this. Frederick Douglass was one of the early supporters. Yes. And um, John Brown also took advantage of this and would buy and bought land in this near this settlements as well. Um, this uh, one of the main focuses of this story is the archaeological digs on the John Brown property where they're searching for evidence of these settlements from that time. Was it a successful project? I think so. Being able to like really engage with the movie is fantastic. Um, and I think you'll you'll learn more if you come to the event because Paul Miller is going to come and we'll be able to answer further questions about the creation of the movie and the research behind it. So the filmmaker and the writer for the movie will be there. So the movie will be screened and then there's an opportunity to talk yes. with the person who made it. And you said he's from SUNY Albany? He works for and had gotten his master's, I believe, at SUNY Albany, yes. So local in two senses. Indeed. You said that this is the last event for Black History Month since it's on February 26th, but that you have some other activities in the works. Well, it's the last um, Institute event for Black History Month, but as we all know, Black history doesn't occur in just one month. There's a lot of opportunities that we're working on to hopefully expand, expand beyond the year, um, but those are still very much in the works. But if you're coming to hear more about history at the Albany Institute, we're going to have some women's history tours coming up in March, which is Women's History Month. We've got some exhibits that have been opened recently that will engage a lot more with the history of women in art as well as our outerwear exhibit. And so if you'd like to hear um, about our upcoming uh, women's history tours, keep an eye on our social media and websites because we'll be publicizing those dates coming up. It's great that the Institute is doing a focus on African-American history. Obviously, it's, it's not just limited to one month, but at least one month started it to get attention. And I hope that we get to a point where African-American history is better acknowledged as American history rather than being off in a sort of silo. Are there any events or trends or groups or individuals that have sparked your interest in your research that you hope to be, be learning more about in the next few months? Well, actually, there's a lot. There's like a couple people I'm hoping to get oral interviews done with relatively soon that I think will be newer and more interesting for people who would not normally think of themselves as people who are interested in history. I had a couple conversations with Derek Rowland, the coach for the Albany Patroons, our literal next door neighbor on Washington Avenue, who had previously played for the Patroons in the 1980s. I think for local Patroons fans, they may not recognize that as 
history if it's relatively within their lifetime. But I think it's an interesting story and I'm hoping to engage with that audience, that oral interview, hopefully pretty soon. And there were also, I've, I've had some conversations with um, the local NAACP chapter about doing more oral interviews with people that they had honored last year, but that is still very early in the works. So no, no specific names for that proportion at this time. Getting back to the film, if people want to come, do they need to register in advance? What's the process? Just come on in. It's included, I believe, with um, regular admission price, which is up on our website. The film will start at two. I would advise getting there a bit early so you can get some time to explore the exhibits and see the museum and get a seat before two. Um, it's on Sunday, so the museum will open at noon. So feel free to have an early lunch, perhaps, and then come down to the museum. And will you also be having documents that you found in your research on display as part of this, or the focus is just on the movie? I don't mean just on the movie, but the, the focus is the movie, or will you also have supplementary documentations on display? At this time, I think where the plan is to mainly have the movie as well as the Q&A portion with Paul Miller. And Albany Institute of History and Art is located at? 125 Washington Avenue. And if people want more information, the website is? AlbanyInstitute.org. And once again, this is Bria Barthel talking with Lacey Wilson, the public historian at Albany Institute of History and Art, about the event coming up on Sunday, February 26th at 2 p.m., a film screening, Searching for Timbuktu, about an abolitionist project in the Adirondacks. And Lacey, thanks so much for taking time to talk with me. No problem. Thanks for inviting me.